0: Hey, Club Scouts! We hope you have been enjoying BCC Classics Week. We have a really weird story of high strangeness for you today with one of the funniest voices of the unexplained in the business. Uh, Speaking of funny voices, Mm -hmm. hi, I'm Michael. Bryce. And Riley. And we're the hosts of Bigfoot Collectors Club. This is the Brooklyn bridge abduction with last mm. podcast on the left's Henry Ugh, Zabrowski. What
1: a case this is.
0: Uh, wild, weird. It's got a little bit of conspiracy which we don't really do on the show. But multiple it's witnesses. Multiple witnesses. Abduction
1: out of a bedroom skyscraper in Manhattan.
0: International intrigue. D- D- spies. Paranoia. Uh, ab- y- the UN. It's a really weird Disclosure? story. Disclosure? Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> uh, I was also so pumped to get Henry on the show which uh, all this happened back in spring of 2020 just as our lives were starting to change so there's a little bit of pandemic talk Mm. some some sort of dated Tiger King humor so (laughs) bear with us but it's fun to look back on where we were uh and henry did not disappoint uh we chose this story in particular because of henry's love for ufo lore and it took place in his hometown of new york city yeah i mean getting henry on the show was like a milestone moment i gotta say yeah a a lot of these guests in this week are just guests that i was personally so excited (laughs) to finally get to speak to yeah um so here's the brooklyn bridge abduction with henry Zabrowski.
2: It's
3: Bigfoot Collectors Club with Bryce and Michael. I know a ghost story or two.
0: Let's do this. <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Bigfoot Collectors Club The Show, where we talk to amazing guests about their personal paranormal history and share stories of high strangeness. I'm your host, Michael McMillan. With me always is your other host, Bryce Johnson. And our super producer, Riley Bray. Guys, it's week 57 of quarantine.
3: Woo! <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh yeah. Um, how is everybody doing? <clears throat> I just want to let everyone know, because people have been asking me on Instagram, my my Animal Crossing Island is thriving. I'm building <laughs> a second bridge, and a campsite has now opened.
1: Congratulations. So, i got to I gotta get my son on that. Maybe you guys can play together or something.
3: That's right. Me <laughs> and your nine-year-old child.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> I've been playing a lot of The Outer Worlds. Um, on PS4, I've never had a video game system before. And so this quarantine time has made me buy a video game system and I'm discovering it. And it is fun, there's so many worlds. There's so many worlds (laughs) in there to discover. So much to explore.
0: (laughs) Uh, That, of course, is our guest. Let's just bring him in. Uh, He is an actor and a comedian from Your Pretty Face is Going to Hell, The Wolf of Wall Street, HBO's Crashing, to name a few. He is co-host of the wildly popular podcast about horror, true crime, and the unexplained, the last podcast on the left. I'm a Mm -hmm. huge fan. And co-author of the brand new book, The Last Book on the Left, he was uh, talking about Joe Exotic long before America discovered the Tiger King. Boys and girls, please give a warm Club Scout salute to Mr. Henry Zabrowski. Woo-hoo.
3: Thank oh. you for having me. Yes, I'm it so is happy. Strange. We have been talking about Joe Exotic for two years. And now in, in, now in real life, in quarantine time, it feels like we've been talking about him for another two years.
1: <laughs> How did you catch wind of, uh, of Joe Exotic's
3: story? We were obsessed with him when he was running for, uh, when he was running for office, we became obsessed with him because we became obsessed with his commercials. We absolutely loved him. Just like him, like that Carol Baskin bitch is still like one of the (laughs) the best, (laughs) the best campaigning I've ever seen a politician do.
2: Um,
3: And then when he got arrested for threatening to murder her, we were just over, we were simply over the moon. I'm so excited to see the <laughs> development of the story in a way that you're just like, it's like having a child that pans out. It's almost yeah. like, it really so did, like it grew to its potential. It's kind of nice to see something that's that's amazing incredible. to point you.
0: It's amazing when you bet on the winning horse, you know?
3: Mm-hmm. <laughs> it all comes out in the end, but no, we, because we, of, we, we run our side show called Side Stories next to last podcast left so we can cover more current events uh, and, and weird news as it pops up. And Joe Exotic was just like, had been kind of made for us. And now the whole country falling in love with him. And then it's kind of divided a sort of like creative a rift in our home. Because my wife is still very much of the mind that Joe Exotic is still a massive piece of shit. And uh, now that he is, he might be, pr- uh, he might be pardoned by our president. Which is oh. the cartoon world that we are in? Uh, that we that fucking, uh, I guess, wished ourselves into. Like we wanted this. We're, we're I mean, here now. So I
0: think he shouldn't have taken
1: that monkey paw, man.
3: Yeah, I, I
0: think he's going to replace Dr. Fauci. That's the that's the rumor.
3: You know what? I trust him. I at least uh, at least think that he is. Uh, you know, he made something for himself. He truly is a self-made man, where Trump is not.
1: That's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and it's um, a lot of work running a big cat sanctuary, so I, I trust him with our overall health. I yeah. trust
3: him with that. Yay! I saw he directed the health of his two husbands, <laughs> which is very nice.
0: I saw that the, one of the guys got new teeth and now has a long chin beard.
3: Brand new chompers! Yeah. He looks incredible. He looks like uh, he looks like he changed his face with FaceApp. <laughs> like he put the smile filter on it It is very disconcerting
0: <laughs> uh, Well, I am I will be listening to the podcast To keep up with all I know you guys are going to keep covering Joe Exotic So I'm excited about
3: that It's y- funny because now it, At least it's starting to slowly die, die down And unfortunately the appeal lo- It loses all appeal for me As soon as the president is involved As soon as yeah. he's involved I, I have stopped caring And now it's been like Well, now I want him to be in prison
0: does that one like you know,
3: like so I don't know what to say.
0: It's like, why is my dad reading my favorite comic books? This isn't yeah. cool anymore. <laughs> this isn't cool anymore. <laughs> um, Henry, you guys covered a really crazy story a couple weeks ago on Side Stories um about that sounded a lot like the you compared it to the Diatlov Pass incident, uh, with these two what was it, hikers with their faces removed that were part of some UFO
3: cult? What? Le- the lead mask case. It was two men that were found in a. They were basically found by a little boy flying a kite where it was these two perfectly just, they were just dead, lying in suits with raincoats on. Next to them were these essentially what looked like sunglasses made out of plate lead without. Like sunglasses at arms whatever you go to the rent whatever the, the thing is that you put on your ears these two like little face masks found next to them and a bunch of soaking clothes and water bottles and with some previous research basically seeing that they seemed to be part of what they called a scientific spiritual group where they were trying to create some form of engine some form of thing to talk to spirits on Mars because they were they were kind of of the idea that spirits was just undiscovered science i guess we're not really certain because we know that they had this kind of cryptid note uh inside one of their pockets that basically said you're going to put these masks on when you see the light because they start to i guess they believe that they're talking to these illuminated creatures these literally shining beings that would blind them which is actually very similar if you read into this week we did an episode on uh, giant humanoids if you're reading the belief of the, the Nephilim or like the idea of the giant like, aliens, essentially, that came here and seeded humankind with their mm-hmm. DNA, that they might have been speaking directly to Moses and that Moses actually when they talk about him being shining in the Bible, and because if you're doing weird Bible ufology, you have to take it completely literally. So they believe that maybe Moses was so shiny like literally light was shooting out of them that would blind people. So somehow it's like weirdly connected. It's like the same thought line.
1: <laughs> so well, that's is- it for our show this week. <laughs>
0: <laughs> hey, uh, thanks for getting in touch with us from your underground bunker, Henry. We really appreciate it. <laughs> you, told, it sounds- you told me you
3: never you don't even know that I'm underground. I can't even <laughs> let them know that I'm underground. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so is Moses
3: on Mars, is that what they're saying? Because
0: Moses on Mars sounds like a really good name for a band.
3: It yeah. does, dude. No, it just depends on your fucking
1: perspective, man. God, this is... That is fucking think about that shit. I can't <laughs> make that shit up.
0: Um. So, Henry, uh, we ask all of our guests, what is your personal paranormal history? How did you get into this stuff? And have you ever had an, an experience that you could not explain?
3: I mean, more recently, I've had... Uh, strange experiences, but I kind of came from my, my mom was very wooey wooey. She loved all this kind of alternative thought. I think a lot of it came from my mom was a part of uh, 12 step programs uh, for family members of alcoholics. And so we ended up uh, being inside this uh, 12 step store, which was basically half a 12 step store, half a various uh, various occult memorabilia head shop essentially. A lot of crystals. Whoa. There was a lot of wow. psychics that came in and out of there. Mm-hmm. I, um, when I was young, my, my mom took me to a psychic that told me that I, in a past life, I was an alchemist that misused his power and that now I'm supposed to harness my powers for good. I was told this when I was like eight. What? And then in middle school, me and my friends, I had two young friends who started this thing called the Monster Club Where, which is completely off of the the Monster Squad. We were obsessed with it. And we used to sit and read all the old school uh, Man Myth and Magic books together and look at like we would get from the library. And we became really obsessed about goings-on in our little part of Queens because when I was growing up in Queens, we had an influx of the Haitian population. So a bunch of these like voodoo. Experts like all this kind of he got kind of downloaded into this very Italian neighborhood and they were not used to seeing it. And I remember going through a bunch of crime scene tape in the Forest Park in Queens to where we found this area where they had done a bunch of animal sacrifices, where there was a bunch of stumps cut from trees in this sort of like hexagon. And the whole soil area was just like soaked in blood and I'll always remember that as like one of those first like true real experiences I had seeing something that kind of weird. Wait, you actually saw it? You were I like saw the, the, the boy,
0: ev- you were like the yeah. little boy flying the kite that discovered those two bodies? And I still am. <laughs> Wait, so you saw there there's ritual sacrifice happening in in Queens.
3: In Queens? But, you know, we did, they viewed it, the, the cops made it a big thing about voodoo coming to New York and they were like trying to, like the New York Post made a very big deal about it. I remember reading about it as a kid, about this idea of like voodoo was going to take over the boroughs and it never really held because most <laughs> people just were trying to eat the, eat the chickens, but they got arrested quite a bit. These groups got arrested quite a bit for uh, animal cruelty. And basically, you know, essentially just running a slaughterhouse without a license. So what I viewed at the time as super cryptic, I now actually view as way more kind of normal. That that Mm. is just part of their belief system. And they probably were doing some sort of big ritual that involved a lot of animal sacrifice that I happened to just see the remnants of. But Mm -hmm. I'm not certain. Back at the time, what was cool is that you could go into a bodega and then they would have, like, voodoo head shop stuff behind like in a back room and so you'd like look through the door from the counter like a back door and you'd see like a shelf with a bunch of skull candles on it and i kind of made a a thing happen inside of my own brain that like every bodega you go to has another room filled with animal blood and skull candles
0: This is fascinating because uh, I, this would never happen in suburban Kansas where I grew up, except we did have you know stories and rumors of satanic cults out in the woods, you know this seems Man, to and if like, they
3: were though that's that would have been so much fun to have been a part of those cults because they were just listening to fucking what they thought was like evil metal, but it was like Judas priest right. you know. <laughs>
0: It literally is just teenagers in black trench coats drinking six packs. You know, I have still the would time have, of their lives. I still would have thought it was, it was evil though. I was, you know, raised very Presbyterian until I was about 16 and I went, screw this. But I, you know, I would have been way too intimidated to hang out with those kids.
3: I think it was cause I was raised Catholic and because I was so, um, I was very invested. I wanted to be a priest until I was like 13 years old. And when I, um, I remember first seeing like there's something about being inundated with pi- pictures of like, the screaming Christ figure as he's pierced and the blood. Like I remember the Jesus that we had in the St. Thomas's the, the church that I was confirmed where it was like the full 3d, like hot nippled Jesus, <laughs> like really nice body where, but he's like <laughs> dripping blood. Like his whole face is just dripping blood and his face is caught in a frozen scream. Of terror and you know like we're supposed to be like he loves you like they're they're all trying to act like he's he's like cuddly like he's the easter bunny but i'm like he's screaming i see him screaming so i think with all of that like mixed with just the general cannibalism involved with the catholic church that i uh got a taste for this very early
0: yeah the the catholicism does have its horrific elements for sure i mean you know to put it mildly but i remember this one time i was studying for a role where i was playing a mormon and i met with these mormon elders and they don't even hang in the mormon church they don't even hang the crucifix on the wall and when i asked them they're like well if somebody murdered your brother or your father with a knife would you remember them by hanging a giant knife on your wall and i was like <laughs> <laughs> that's,
3: that's a, good a bill hicks bit that's literally a Bill Hicks. That's that is a whole. That's what they said about if JK came back to life. And what if everybody was wearing assault rifles on Netflix? They, they, they stole that. They're being fucking uh, Carlos Mencia right now.
1: Fucking Mormons, man. Yeah,
0: they're the the fat Mormons. They stole they stole everybody's jokes. They stole um, my bits yeah still still in the bits um so let's go back to when you found out you were an ancient alchemist um how did that hit you and how is that at all has that been expanded is that mythology expanded at all uh in your lifetime
3: well i had an ex whose mom gave me a spiritual cleansing later on that said that she uh she used herself as an avatar of me inside of a ceremony where they cleansed me of all the curses that I had put upon myself because I wasn't living up to my potential. Whoa. So I got that going for me.
0: That's
1: I got heavy. that all
3: fixed. <clears throat> um, so don't worry about that. So I'm fucking clear <laughs> as a day. I bet she put them back on now that we're broken up. Yeah, my God knows what she's done since then. But I, I remember as a kid having a bunch of uh, reoccurring dreams of me being inside of a crib and this sort of almost vaguely Virgin Mary-esque queen-like character with a star, star slash sunbeam, like kind of like essentially a crown looking over me as a church burned down around us. And I, they, you know, for a while, I remember telling that as a very young kid to my mom. And she said that that was going to, that was a past life remembered. Wow. and so I was connected to that. So I never knew what was sort of about that. And, you know, and then my mom still hits me up about it because she's now deep into Reiki. And then she talks about um, the Watchers quite a bit, which was like essentially to, to long story short, it's like if Galactus was real.
0: Yeah, we've talked about the Watchers on the show. We have a medium and intuitive friend, uh, Adela Levine, who talks about the Watchers. We had a whole chat with her about these guys. They sound really badass.
3: They're out there, bro.
0: They're watching. You're fucking Uh, out there, dude. You're so wait. So this is really interesting that your mom was into all this stuff because I know from the podcast that your dad was a police
3: officer or detective. uh, Yeah, my father was a. Yeah, he worked for the uh, bridge and tunnel part of the NYPD.
0: So this is like a quite the dichotomy then in your household, I would imagine.
3: I mean, my father mainly. Um, I think the way my father avoided a lot of these conversations was just by going to the bar with his friends afterwards, and I think that in a way he was correct. <laughs> I think that he he actually was having a good time, and I actually blame myself for ruining his good time. Right. <laughs> I, I That's am very the woke problem. Of you. Yeah, I am the problem. I ruined my father's buzz i was the bus the kill, other way I, around yeah and i think about this all the time and i already asked him for to, i apologize to him and i wish he could drink again i wish he could go back to drinking at this point you know why not he's in his 70s you know he can go back you know i don't know whose life he's gonna ruin now at this point.
0: well it's all about you whose life you're gonna ruin
3: me i know the yeah. torch has been passed down i um i don't want to i'm fighting really hard um i my, you know my wife and I work really hard because our dog is gonna go to college and be better than us.
0: Yes, <laughs> I caught myself uh for the millionth time while walking the dogs last night. I have two dogs referring to myself as daddy, and mm-hmm. i really had to, I really had to stop and think about this for the first time in ten years of having a dog I'm like, why do I call? <laughs> myself papa and daddy to these dogs is this this is what the quarantine's doing to me is is, is i'm slowly learning that i'm insane like i don't <laughs> oh, yeah. i'm Always not going been. insane i am crazy and i'm figuring this out by staying by being alone so long
3: well now you're yes you're truly truly alone and these the dogs all that we have you are papa to the dogs I mean I say stuff like this where because you know I don't want the dog to come in while I'm trying to make love to my wife and I said that one day I said the thing was that we're trying to get the dog out of the room and I said if you don't leave here how are we gonna make you a little brother or sister? <laughs> referring to <laughs> how do we have another dog. Yeah, I don't think it works <laughs> like that. <No. laughs>
1: yeah. That was fun.
0: So what are some of the uh current experiences or recent experiences you said you've been been having?
3: Well, my whole life, I've never experienced anything that I've wanted to see a ghost, wanted to see an alien. Obviously, I think people have said I've wanted it too much. I'm too horny for it. They can smell my desperation. They don't want to appear in front of me. They don't want to make the communication. So I was like, I get it. All right. I'm a loud mouth. I assume I am just. I am fucking I'm 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 ghost repellent. So. All of a sudden, in this house, we've been trying to move out of our apartment for a very long time. We've been basically been in the weeds trying to, to find a new place, and as basically we, we got like something happened where we're like, we found a place we're going to start starting the process to go, go to a new place. And then all of a sudden, things started going missing around my own. I've never hmm. experienced this shit before, even though like my whole house is filled with evil stuff. Right. I have memorabilia from all over the world, like like fucking Alistair, bits of Alistair Crowley's house. I've got, you know, serial killer art. I've got like all this like good creepy stuff in the house. You think I'd be begging for it, but I've never seen anything. And then, you know, I I am a fairly sad cishet man that I own one belt. Right. I have one belt. I put on yeah. I just moved all my other pants. I don't have multiple belts. I'm not thinking about it fucking incorporating it into my styles. I'm not I worried understand. about the color I, magic. I,
0: I, I graduated to two belts and I just got another brown belt.
3: <laughs> yeah, that's all it wow. is. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I because mean, I do not I'm trying not to call I'm not trying to display my Dr. Robotnik body as thoroughly as they want. You gotta break it up. You gotta chunk it up with layers. That's what I yeah, learned yeah. from Queer Eye. Yes, is yes, that, yes. So my belt went missing, right? It's dumb, right? You know. And my wife is like, "Oh, you smoke weed every day. You drink. You drink a lot." And I'm like, "That's, I guess." But normally the belt is like crucial because I literally just had it on my pants, and now my belt is gone. I um, tore the whole fucking house apart for it. Literally went through all my drawers, couldn't find it. Finally, I asked some people and and talked to I talked to a couple of my witch friends. They said it sounds like either the fae or sounds like what they call an elemental. It sounds like mm. a trickster thing that's just trying to say hello. They might be mad that they you have just made the decision to leave this house. Because we've had many people come to our apartment and say that the house is that the apartment itself is haunted and the building is haunted. My neighbor saw a full torso apparition, saw a man. Walk at him coming out of the parking garage. He's so so realistic that he got out of the way, thinking this guy was bum rushing him, and then turned around and the guy was gone. So Whoa. I guess our building's Whoa. haunted as fuck. But so my belt went missing. So they're like, you got to ask for it back, and you got to leave out a tribute. So I asked my apartment. I was like, all right, can you please give me my belt back? And then I poured out a shot, and I, I have this like little haunted chair, and like my buddy created the cheddar goblin for Mandy. And so oh, I have a, no way. Yeah. So I, I have love the, the original Cheddar goblin. I love him. He's my favorite, but I have him sitting in a chair. Right. <laughs> and so I figured that he could be like the go between, between me and whatever <laughs> it is. So I asked Cheddar goblin to be like, tell them to bring my shit back. I pour out a shot of whiskey and I left half a joint and a little like tub thing. And then next thing, you know, I go through the bottom of my workout clothes, my belt. It's at the very bottom of the thing, which I know I went through several times, and I was like, this is fucking, they fucking get my fucking belt back, and then I just had a mic go missing for several days, I had a mic, and I tore my whole fucking, very expensive microphone, I tore my whole fucking house apartment, like a whole fucking apartment looking for it, and all of a sudden my wife was doing, we were doing laundry, and we were folding it, and then it just appeared, It literally I walked out of the room, I came back in, and it was just on top of a pile of laundry that wasn't there 20 minutes ago, that was literally just in there, and I was just like, this is, I got worried because it's a ghost, and my wife is like, What if a man is breaking in here at night and moving our things around and watching us sleep and masturbating? And I was like, absolutely (laughs) not. That is definitely not happening. But then I check now every night. Now I have to check.
1: You're a masturbating (laughs) man.
0: (laughs) You could be be getting a creepy crawly put on you. Who's doing this to me? It may, you know, like when, Manson, when the Manson family used to go around and just like, know. move people's furniture by a couple inches and leave the house.
3: The gang stalking. Oh, no, yeah. believe me. I, I, you never know, man. Because that's one of those things that I'm really looking for as the symptom of, like, I'm always kind of on the lookout for, like, am I completely going insane? Like, when, when is that? When do you realize that you're completely going insane? Is it when you're already in the hospital or is it when you can, maybe if you can catch it early, maybe I won't have to go to a hospital. But honestly, Jeez. an insane asylum really sounds so relaxing.
0: <laughs> I mean, it's not <laughs> that different from what we're all doing right now. Just chilling, man. And
1: you, you get know.
3: all those drugs that I didn't have to buy? Yeah,
1: minus the meds. I don't have a nurse bringing me meds. That'd be great.
3: That'd be pretty sweet. Oh, man. But yeah, that's so, as close as I've gotten. That is as that's- that is as close as I've touched any of this stuff. And it's so small but I feel like that's how kind of it, it, it could say hello. I've always believed that the paranormal is a personal experience between you and whatever the phenomena is, which is why it's so difficult to get the evidence that everybody craves is because it's kind of 50% literally psychedelic, like it is a part of our brains. So we literally can't share the experience.
0: With all right. the
1: yeah, I back that fully. I think that makes a lot of sense.
3: That's kind of what we've been getting
0: into. We're a hundred and eleven episodes in, although we had some bonus episodes before we did the Patreon, so you know we're about one hundred and twenty five episodes in, and I think the more we go down this path, the more that we're really coming to the terms with that there's something there's an interface between the phenomenon and the user that happens yes. and, and we require one another to activate and, and, you know, to activate the experience in some way, you know, we just got done doing a book club, doing the uh, reading the mothman prophecies for uh, the, the other side, our Patreon feed. And, you know, it's just like what Kiel's been basically, you realize like Kiel was saying this in the sixties, Jacques Vallée has been saying this since the fifties, you know, that, that whatever this phenomenon is, it really, uh, it requires, participation at least in the form of being able to have sentient thought i think in order to experience these things
3: it's it's coming Mm. to Mm. us halfway like it's it is a halfway experience i'm with you i don't think that one exists without the other i think that's the same thing with ufo ufo behavior is all about that's why they call it a presentation quite often is that when you see Mm. a ufo it like sees you and sort of essentially dances for you for your benefit and I, I don't know why, you know, Jacques Vallée, he talked about it, like the idea is that it's supposed to make us consider the universe and consider our relationship to the universe. And what reality means is that it's all about knowledge seeking, but that really is putting a lot into the consciousness of the universe and saying that it's doing things very purposefully, or it might just be an inherent way our consciousness works, that we, the idea that we've excluded the non-physical part of it, as a thing that doesn't matter, is a part of where, I mean, we've just been wrong for so long, where actually that all this kind of anomalous behavior, all these anomalous things we're seeing are actually incredibly important to the understanding of our consciousness. But people are reluctant to do the serious research into it because, number one, there's no money. And number two, as soon as you do it, you sound like an asshole. And, uh, you can't, uh, you, all of your quote unquote cred is ruined. And so then you can't come back into the other system, which is why you see some of these guys try to make like a genuine stab into the world of parapsychology or the paranormal. And they really want to try to research it. And then all of a sudden they become like that podiatrist, the podiatrist Lear that was like, became like, he's a podiatrist who became like the number one (laughs) UFO implant remover guy. And then he goes from, like, normal scientists trying really hard to show the world, hey, we're taking this seriously, to, like, he's on History Channel. He's wearing a leather jacket and a, and a little earring, and he's got his hair all styled. And he's trying <laughs> to, like, become a paranormal doctor because he's lost all other streams of income because people won't go to the because they've immediately doomed him, deemed him as somebody very stupid for even well, trying to be- handle this topic.
1: Well, you know there is like, and it's exactly what you're saying is right, and you know there is a, like a select few who seem to have made that crossover legitimately, and I, you know, I think of guys like uh, Hal Putoff and like Russell Targ who uh, ran SRI and worked those, uh, you know, sort of those uh, psychic programs with remote viewing and stuff. They seem to be on the sort of cutting edge of of consciousness and. Uh, you know, scientific endeavors mixed with a little bit of parapsychology. And now they're all under the umbrella of uh Tom DeLong's company, To the Stars Academy. Have you guys broken oh, yeah. I mean, into the, any of that or
3: we've done a little bit in
1: during our Skinwalker
3: Ranch episodes, but they are uh you know, they are just looking for money. I think Robert Bigelow is actually a very important person to UFology, but the problem is is that again, they wanna the people are really kind of mad that any money is touching UFology. Mm-hmm. Uh, because they think it's going to turn people, which I, I agree it can. But also, these they are humans, and everyone has to pay their bills. So the fact that Robert Bigelow can give money to lend towards genuine psychic research, genuine paranormal research, I think is a really big get. But then you are under the purview of this guy, and you have to decide whether or not you trust Robert Bigelow or not.
1: Wild.
0: Yeah, what do you think the agenda is there with him? What what do you, who
3: what's behind I honestly him? think that he is uh he is just a genuine nerd.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, and he's an experiencer too. He has a he had a childhood experience of witnessing a UFO and he came from a very uh religious background as well, you know, sort of like you were mentioning and he, and he had a very visceral UFO experience when he was a little boy mm-hmm. and that sort of drove him to you know, question theology and 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 sort of look into the idea of of if we were being, you know, visited by extraterrestrials. I I don't know where his you know, he did that famous interview on Dateline where he said they're already here, you know, they're walking amongst us. So it'd be interesting to sort of get inside his head a little bit as to what his take on the phenomenon is, because he seems to be, along with everybody else, at sort of to the Stars Academy that, you know, going against Keel and Valet, but that these are actual extraterrestrials. In other words, you know, uh biological entities from a, a, another planet or another galaxy or from another intelligence, and that they are visiting us in, you know, metallic crafts that can be analyzed and stuff like that. So I don't know. It's I very- think my...
3: It is very interesting. I I also wonder if they're not also doing that because it's the only way that they believe they can get quote unquote legit science involved and get other money involved is by mm-hmm. saying that it's nuts and bolts crafts. Because as yeah, soon as you get studied. into the once you get into the the because what is this all for? It's fucking weapons R and D. Yeah. That's in the end what they're really hoping to get this technology that we can get our hands on before any other country and then we can use so that's how they can they pitch it which is we got to be we got to be on the forefront of whatever this shit whatever falls from the sky that we can get it if we haven't already if they don't believe that we if they do believe, if they do have something yeah. maybe that is sitting in a hangar somewhere that they're staring at they don't know what well, the hell to do with it well but exactly they don't want you can't build
1: up you can't build up an armament budget for uh, for people who take belts. You know what I mean? And no, no you can't you, talk about
3: the Faye. Yeah, you can't go into the Pentagon and be like, "I really think we should sage in here before the meeting." Like it's not going to get you any hardcore allies. They gotta yeah, get your no, mom. They gotta get form.
0: your mom in there just to kind of you know clean cleanse the energy. I mean, if Pentagon. she could just sit and make her,
3: she could. She's very good at meatballs.
1: But you know, I, I just want to I want to touch on I want to get your opinion on something like because, you know, that that is very sort of fey like these items disappearing and showing up, especially after after sort of a token or an or, or an altar is, is given back. Now, this is a physical thing that happens, something disappearing, right? Do you think that that's actually taking place or or like you said, the the, the user is sort of participating in this? in this initiation of sorts, do you think unconsciously you're moving the belt around and then, and then reconsciously rediscovering it? Or do you think that belt physically goes into another dimension and reappears or, or, or is taken by entities and then re given back? Where where do you fall on that?
3: I think reality is a lot more. I am of the mind that reality is a lot more complicated. Literally our day to day reality is a lot more complicated than what we think of it as. And I don't think it's as simple as... I know this is... You Say whatever you want, right? I still have edible molecules flowing through my blood at all times. (laughs) So whatever you want to say about this. But I don't think it's a matter of... This is a safe place, Henry.
0: This is a safe... You're in a safe place.
3: (laughs) Yes. It's uh, not that I'm subconsciously taking it someplace. I think that uh, saying stuff like fixed-point reality mean mm. something to somebody who does theoretical calculus uh, and means somebody in in like somebody who's trying to prove something on a piece of paper I think that that's why they do that type of type of thing I think in real life it doesn't really exist like that and I think that the reason why stuff like the belt going missing to me is so highly interesting it's because I do think it's somewhat like it literally folds into another place. Wow. And just goes some other it just ends up somewhere. And that it doesn't say, travel. Like you know, I was joking about how I wish like just imagining being in the bedroom while Natalie's folding laundry and not seeing it like float past her eyes and like landing on <laughs> top of the laundry. Like I don't think it works like that. Interesting. I was
1: gonna I say the
3: folds.
0: the point where you know that you're insane, Henry, is when you discover the room in your walls that you put there months ago oh my God. And <laughs> forgot yes. about. If yes. you realize you've been hoarding them the whole time, I would nail them back up. Different style literally
3: different
1: nail colors. them back up and
3: like we are stopping this right now. Other Henry,
1: you had your <laughs> yeah. fun.
3: I would talk directly to other Henry and we would get it figured out.
0: Um I wonder too if sometimes uh like with this missing item stuff if that belt just sort of jumps forward two weeks, right? And reappears Mm.
3: like, I mean, fucking who knows? dude? (laughs) I'm down with it. But just
0: think about this. This is the other thing. If, If we go back to what we're saying about this thing is engaged with us in a way to, Think about, you know, reality and think about these things like just the act of a missing belt has now gotten you thinking about theoretical calculus or whatever. You know what I mean? It's making you rethink reality. And maybe that is the point in and of itself.
3: I, I think that our own personal, it sounds religious, right? But I think it's all about our own personal relationship with the universe. Yeah. I think every single time they keep trying to say like we'll find these aliens or they're about to be there, you know, besides like the the Fermi paradox and all that kind of stuff that's kind of happening of like, why haven't we seen the the planet? Where is the planet? You know, like, are we really just like where these aliens live? Are we really just in the backwoods of the universe? I think it's mostly just the fact that the more we look for some sort of easy boilerplate answer, the more whatever that other forces is just laughing at us.
1: Yeah. you know it does it does seem to be a a, a a personal relationship with with the phenomenon i know i know i think the more the more that we look into all this you know crazy stuff it, more questions are brought up and and different experiences are revealed and it does seem to f- be a part of like a feedback loop like it wants to engage with you and it wants to uh you just like you said, it wants to sort of break down your 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 reality, you know, and, and to where this this waking state starts to feel more like a dream world. The more the more you look into it and you more, the more you have these strange experiences, it all seems, you know, fuzzy at best.
3: My friends did a series called Hellier. I don't know if you've seen. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: We oh, yeah. We're Hellier. big fans. Yeah. yeah.
0: We, we actually just had John Tenney, uh, E.L. Tenney on the show last week. He's
3: great. Um, we got hammered we, in uh, Detroit together. Uh, J- John Tenney and I and we went and we, it was just us just yelling about shit while this other couple was trying to trying to understand. <laughs> and it was a lot. It was a lot. But they
0: we uh, have not had Greg and Dana on yet, but we 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 really, we've been talking to them about coming on the show, so we're hoping for that soon.
3: They're the best. But they just their idea, their version of the paranormal search, I think, is the most honest I've ever seen. Yeah, like of what it's really like and why, if you look at it from the outside, when they all get like when people are getting super excited about the synchronicities and like I I see my the normal uh, Redditor who looks at it and go like, oh, yeah, well, show me a goblin. And it's been like, I know that it's it is it can be almost viewed as boring from the outside or is a thing that doesn't make a, that big of a deal to you where you don't care as much about these little synchronicities but when you're in it it feels very very big like it yeah. feels it feels very important
1: because well, the world the world the world starts to feel like uh manipulated like it's a game like it's uh like you're a player on on some larger game scale and uh and you know everything is happening for you to you you know like that the, the universe feels so interactive and and that we are part of this creation process whatever that means you know
3: but people don't like that type of, I don't know what, the, I don't know if it's optimism. I think people get, I think a part of it is triggering for certain people because yes, the the push and pull that we want from reality and from our lives, like kind of requires us to ask a lot of questions and do a lot of work. Um, And I think that it's a lot for some people. I yeah. think that they want the. They want the very, very either concrete answer of there is nothing. This is it. This is nothing. We are nothing but soil and carbon. That is it, um, which I totally understand. That is also vaguely comforting. Or the other is that I want a ghost in sheet, like, show up. Like, I want it to be Beetlejuice. Or I want it to be like Close Encounters of the Third <laughs> Kind. Like I want the aliens yeah. to show up. I want it to be – I want all the treaties to be real. Like I want us to have their technology. The other idea that it's in, that it's about this ongoing series of questions and about you looking at your own place in the universe is a lot of complicated and it's difficult when you got to work 60 hours a week.
1: This
0: is why my parents avoid therapy. They don't want to go (laughs) talk about themselves and figure (laughs) shit
3: out. No, No, because there's a lot of stuff that comes up when you open up those fun fun lids.
1: Yeah,
0: (laughs) those lids are there for a reason, Henry. Mm -hmm. We we want
1: our bloody screaming Jesus on a cross, yeah.
0: Well, and that's what I was thinking. The other system there that I think maybe goes with what you're saying, Henry, is the... It's all in God's hand system where like there is a supernatural force, there is a benevolent one, but it's they're doing all the work. So you just have to show up at church every Sunday and pray and say thank you and just be a good person. And that's really all the that's the only thing you really have to worry about, you right. know, yeah, that yes, there is, that there is fucking... something else out there, but it it's not for you to know. It's not, you know, only God knows. You know what I mean? That kind of, like, keep it over there. Keep it on the other, keep it on the other side of the, the veil, you know, and hope that you yeah, don't go cool. to a bad place when you die.
3: Yeah, absolutely, because it's, it's very comforting. You don't, you don't want to really think about how, like, you're the fate of that way. The work is done for you by somebody else. Somebody else is taking care of your soul, and you don't have to worry about it yourself. You don't have to go and do the work. Yeah. And really sit and think about it. Because it's it's true. I've the last uh especially the last month, I've been doing a lot of meditating, a lot of yoga and therapy, and it's fun to take the inner look in because things get very things can get pretty uh complicated. Yeah. Once you get inside of your own brain, man. Yep.
0: We all uh, speaking of other what what what's that video game you're playing right now on, on PS4? Outer Worlds. Me? Outer yeah. worlds, dude. Yeah, it's all the outer worlds are all Inner worlds, if you know what yeah, I mean. Yeah, man, I'm all
3: about that. Though I think, I think a part of it is the what the universe is also trying to show us is that we can't evolve until we also in, use the power of the uh, paranormal.
0: Awesome. All right. Well, we have a game we like to play with all of our guests. Henry, it's a rapid fire game. I'm going to go down a list of phenomena. This should be fun. And uh, if you're into it, you're going to say, believe it. If you're not into it, you're going to say bullshit. This is a game that we call bullshit
1: or believe it.
0: All right. Henry Zabrowski. on your mark. Get set. Ghosts. Believe it. UFOs. Believe it. Bigfoot believe it angels bullshit
3: vampires believe it shadow people believe it but yeah they are there but you know it's a thing little gray (laughs) aliens in your mind man you believe it if it's if you saw it you it's there man
0: out of body experiences believe it demonic possession don't
3: believe it bullshit
0: the Bermuda Triangle.
3: Bullshit. It's methane.
0: Alien, ab- <laughs> <laughs> Alien <laughs> abductions. Believe it. Loch Ness Monster.
3: Ooh, that's bullshit, unfortunately.
0: Time travel.
3: Bullshit, unfortunately. Mothman. Believe it.
0: Reincarnation.
3: Ooh, ah. Uh, I go towards believe it. ESP. Believe it.
0: Haunted Houses.
3: Believe it. The Illuminati. Uh bullshit, but the Illuminati, there's no proper group called the Illuminati. It's just the it's the structure is there though.
0: There's a face on Mars. It's bullshit. Skunk Ape.
3: Uh Believe it.
0: Heaven. Bullshit. Hell. Bullshit poltergeists believe it chupacabra believe it atlantis bullshit life on other planets believe it parallel dimensions believe it the apocalypse bullshit life after death
3: oh but that's very there's a lot in there man i would say (laughs) it's it's uh it's i believe it but i don't think that uh it's gonna be what we think it's gonna be
0: okay great you got well through done. the whole list uh what so what do you think it, what do you think it is after we die
3: i think that um it's either we just wake up in another life mm. or i mean we just wake up and you just you just do another life or i mean i don't know man i don't fucking know we won't know until it's too late
0: I know I've been really thinking like I need to read uh, the Tibetan book of the dead and learn all that stuff because uh, I'm in the middle of, I'm you know, I'm always reading like five books at, a, at the same time, but I, I'm reading Ubik. And, yeah, you know,
3: buddy. We
0: talked about this last week with Tenny, but there's this like, you know, they talk about the the Tibetan book of the dead and there and which lights you need to hang around and go towards and which lights you want to avoid after you die.
3: Yeah. No, you um, got to read about the Bardo. Yeah. Yeah. The all Bardo. that shit yeah that stuff is it's very interesting. They really do contemplate it for a very long time.
0: Because to me, that's what I think like whatever is outside this reality, that's probably where we're going to be hanging out the most if there is something, you know, most of our existence. Tenny said last week that, you know, this is the dream and the reality is what we're going to wake up to after we die. And I tend to think that all this stuff is sort of mental preparation for whatever that dimension is, whether we've been there before, if we're returning to it, I'm not sure I have different ideas about that but i think i think all this stuff like magic and you know with the k and all this stuff is really to kind of prep you for what you're going to experience once this consciousness uh leaves this body
1: yeah man you know i've always been fascinated and and i i i'm starting to agree with a lot of that michael is that this life is is built for a, a preparation of sorts it's to it's to really you know, initiate yourself and get ready for what comes after. And, and it's not only just your opportunity to do so, but it's your responsibility to do so. So, you know, we're really here. There is a purpose to being here, and that's to, you know, to s- sort of sup- prepare yourself for, for what comes next. And, and like we talked about last week, there seems to be, you know, the Egyptians thought there were passcodes and there were trials and tribulations that took place after death. And you know it was it was up to you to figure out how to traverse those uh y- y- you know that labyrinth of mazes in the afterworld. Otherwise, you would just sort of end up in in what they thought w- was sort of like a, a purgatory or a or a hell. You know, your soul would just you didn't do the work. In other words,
3: I also just wonder if you spend so long, especially with something like the Bardo or the Tibetan Book of the Dead, that you you spend so long in an interior contemplation that you do begin to see the edges of the programming and you you spend so long and that you can actually kind of make it real for you. You, you're Mm -hmm. in that world all the time. You're already kind of prepping it for yourself. And that maybe, maybe some people do go out like a blank because they don't do the work. Maybe if you do the work, it doesn't, maybe that's a part of the reason why they continue to do the work. Maybe, maybe that's, it's almost a superstitious thing. Maybe you have to build it up for yourself. It's like you're building up the infrastructure before you can even get there. Um, I also wonder if we are put into some form of uh, what if we're in some form of dimensional prison? Like, what if the planet Earth is is that maybe certainly seems like it. Yeah, we're kept away from everything. Like maybe maybe that's the reason why we haven't seen it. Like that. I guess that's the one puzzling thing is that we we popped up. With uh, you know, we obviously have got influenced by by nature. I mean, I do believe in the panspermia idea. I think like something arrived here, and uh, helped us grow here as an intelligent life. But I don't understand how we are here, but the rest of the universe isn't just fucking like soaked in life. Yeah. Like I don't know how there's not so much life that it's not everywhere, and that it's not that it's that it not that there's just not not that there's not intelligence life out there. That there's not like plants plant-filled lives and plant like all those kind of things where you'd go and like there, there'd be other type of life close to us That i wonder if either it is just so rare which i just don't believe that we could pop up or we are we are just in we are put in a place where we are put in a some form of holding pen mm. for some reason um. Well, this is
0: all fascinating, and I think we could talk about this forever, but we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to have this week's story of High Strangeness with Mr. Henry Zabrowski. All right, everybody. Uh, we got Henry Zabrowski here, and it's this, it's time for this week's story of High Strangeness. H- Henry, I'm so happy you're doing the show. This has been a fucking awesome conversation, man. So um, uh, it's story time. Here we go. Uh, It is a common trend that many alien abduction cases take place in rural areas like deep in the forest, high up in a mountain range, or down a midnight country road. What makes this story of high strangeness so startling is that it took place in one of the most populated places in the country, New York City. To this day, it remains one of the wildest and most sensational abduction cases in UFO lore. It reads like a tabloid tale and smacks of pulp nonsense. The person at the center of this case has been called a liar, the story a hoax. But what makes it such a compelling tale, a trait which is also so common with these encounters, is that for all of its outrageousness, it is hard to completely dismiss outright. Dude, I've been waiting
1: for this one. I know where (laughs) you're going.
0: Bud Hopkins, the UFO researcher behind the books Missing Time and Intruders, the Copley Wood uh, Copley Woods alien abductions spent years investigating this incident and claims that at least or claimed that at least 23 witnesses came forward since he first began investigating the case back in the late 80s. Wow. After all New York City is the city that never sleeps. This case is the subject of Hopkins third book and remains one of the most controversial alien abduction cases in history. Now every story we do on the podcast is always a cliff to. Cliff's Notes version, and I want to be upfront and disclaim that what we cover here today is just the bare bones plot. This story is chock full of twists and turns and suspicious individuals and paranoid conspiracies, too convoluted to get into, but it's a great story at its face value. Without further ado, here is the story of the Brooklyn
3: Bridge abduction. Wow. Yeah, yeah, my, my home yeah. hey, time. Right. you're yeah. text somebody.
1: If you're gonna fucking take somebody. You do it Yay. on the bridge. Hey,
3: to take me. You want to take me,
1: buddy?
0: <laughs> uh, Henry, I sent you a little email. If you want to open it up, you're gonna have a role to play uh, in a, in just a few moments here. So if you want to open that up, get ready.
3: Yeah, I'll, I got it. I'll
0: cue you up. Also known as the Manhattan Transfer Abduction, this close encounter of the fourth kind centers around one 41-year-old 40 woman named Linda Cortile, now known to the world as Linda Napolitano. On November 30th, 1989, Linda was putting herself to bed around 3 a.m., the, the hour of high strangeness, yeah. and her husband was already fast asleep. Their son had gone to bed hours earlier and was tucked away safely in his room down the hall of Linda's Lower East Side apartment. According to Linda, she was saying her prayers when her legs started to go numb and she had an eerie sensation that something was in her room. She opened her eyes to see an alien gray standing at the foot of her bed. Oh, terrified by the sight of the large headed entity with giant black eyes peering back at her, Linda pulled herself towards the back of her bed her legs, her dead legs dragging across the sheets unable to wake her husband from his slumber she grabbed a homemade pillow she had sewn and threw it at the end of-
1: That ought to do it
0: yeah. She said it was really heavy she said I made it myself and might as well have been full of rocks <laughs> Maybe it was.
3: I'm terrible at making pillows. I'm actually very good at making weapons.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Linda claims the next thing she remembered was seeing something like a white sheet covering her. And then the sensation of small fists or a machine (laughs) pounding on her back. (laughs) The next thing she remembered was being dropped back into her bed. As we all know, alien abductions are tricky, because typically the victim only has short, dreamlike memories of what what happened to them. The larger details of the abduction are quite often erased, perhaps as a way of minimizing the trauma. Like Betty and Barney Hill, Linda could only remember fragments of what happened that night, but she knew something strange had for sure taken place. Linda had already reached out to Bud Hopkins in April of 1989 after picking up a copy of Intruders, true story of Debbie Jordan Cowbell who had been abducted by aliens experimented upon and used for what Cowbell came to believe was a hybrid breeding program between humans and the greys while reading the book Linda instinctively knew that she had had a similar traumatic experience of being abducted multiple of them and 13 years prior to reaching out to Hopkins Linda had discovered a lump in her face which a doctor had told her was a scar from a childhood surgery a surgery which Linda had never undergone. Linda called Bud Hopkins the morning after her incident and asked for his help. Bud suggested that she undergo hypnotic regression therapy to uncover what had happened. During these sessions, Linda remembered being guided out of her bed by five gray aliens who led her into her living room. There, she was bathed in a fluorescent blue light, levitated off the floor and through a closed window of her 12-story apartment building along with three of the greys and taken into a craft that was hovering over her building and this is linda describing the her this story in her own words henry if you would
3: oh i'm standing up on nothing and then they take me out all the way up. Oh, way above the building. Oh, I hope I don't fall. The UFO. It opens up almost like a clam. And then I'm inside. Oh, this is nice. I see benches <laughs> similar to regular benches. And they're bringing me down a hallway. Doors open up like sliding doors. Oh, nice. I right love door. that movie. This is nice. I wish I could get these on my lanai. <laughs> Inside are all these lights and buttons and a big, long table. Oh, that must be nice for the holidays. <laughs> I don't want to get up on that table. They get me on a table anyway, of course. They start saying things to me and I'm yelling. I can still yell. Ah, ah! I can still yell. One of them says something that sounds like knobby egg. Like knobby egg. So, so is that Chinese? I think they're trying to tell me to be quiet because he put his hand over my mouth. <laughs> She's just up there freaking out. You <laughs> put a hand on my mouth. Oh, God. Shut Don't up. Don't touch me. Shut the, the up. spit hands. Oh, you haven't eaten anything. You're so skinny. You're yeah, making this Shut more up. difficult. <laughs> oh, you remind me of my son. He also shaped his head. Oh, he's got that male pit boldness.
0: Linda was operated upon by the Greys, who placed an implant up her nose. Linda was then returned to bed, and the days following her abduction, Linda got an x-ray, which she claimed showed there was an intact, there was, in fact, a foreign object in her nasal cavity. Two weeks later, Linda awoke to a horrendous nosebleed. Upon receiving a second set of x-rays, the object was gone, but leaving built-up cartilage in its place. A year after Bud Hopkins opened Linda's case, he was contacted via letter by two men under the assumed names of Dan and Richard. And this is when this story gets really, really weird. Yeah. Dan and Richard claimed to be undercover cops on a stakeout in the early morning of November 30th, two blocks away from Linda's apartment building. They told Bud in their letter that they watched as Linda and the three beings floated in a beam of light in fetal positions and into the craft exactly as as Linda had recalled during hypnosis. The craft's lights went from orange and yellow to blue and white as it received Linda and floated over the Brooklyn Bridge and down into the river and disappeared. They said that they had worked out which apartment was Linda's, who she was, and were planning on visiting her to, to assure themselves that she was okay and to get answers about what they had witnessed hopkins warned linda of the two men's impending visit and they did indeed come by her apartment both men seemed disturbed and upset by what they had seen and dan kept asking linda how how did you do it how did you make it happen During Hopkins and Linda's correspondence with Dan and Richard, it would eventually be revealed that they were not policemen at all, but in fact two undercover agents possibly working for the CIA that had been working security detail for a powerful political figure the night uh, that they witnessed the abduction, a man that Hopkins referred to as the third man. All three of them had been in a limo the night of the abduction, and all three of them had witnessed the events take place. Hopkins eventually uncovered the identity of the third man, Javier Perez de Cuellar, a Peruvian politician and diplomat who served as the fifth Secretary General of the United Nations from January 1st, 1982, to December 31st, 1991. Yeah. Allegedly, Cuellar was en route to a helicopter pad when he and Dan and Richard witnesses witnessed Linda's alien abduction. Although he eventually corroborated the story in private, he insisted on remaining anonymous and never went public with the story. His his identity being revealed by Hopkins long after the fact. Meanwhile, Dan and Richard's obsession with Linda grew. On October 15, 1991, Linda claims that the two men kidnapped her and drove her to a safe house on Long Island where she was interrogated. Dan called her a half-breed and made her put on a white nightgown to confirm that she was in fact the woman they saw being taken by the greys. They supposedly demanded to see her feet to prove that she was human because aliens did not have toes. Linda tried to escape by running down out of the house and down the beach, but Dan caught up with her, taking photos of her as she attempted to flee. Eventually, Richard came to his senses and drove Linda home. According to Linda and Bud Hopkins, Dan experienced a psychotic break and was eventually hospitalized, but remained in contact with Linda, even proclaiming that he had fallen in love with her, despite his belief that she was some type of alien human hybrid. The identities of Dan and Richard are unknown to this day. Their only correspondence with Bud Hopkins was through letters or over the phone. Ultimately, We have to take this story at face value, and the events seem preposterous in the least. But here are two final twists. First, another witness came forward. A retired telephone operator, referred to as Janet Kimball by Hopkins, wrote to Bud and told him that she was on vacation in New York on November 30th, 1989. She claims that she saw Linda and the three beings float up to the spacecraft above Linda's apartment after her vehicle inexplicably slowed down to a stop on the Brooklyn Bridge. She watched the craft change lights, fly overhead, and vanish into the river. Immediately after her car started working again. At first, she believed that what she had witnessed was a Hollywood science fiction film being made. But she told Hopkins that the whole thing unnerved her and she would never visit New York City again. (laughs) The second twist. After Linda was returned to her bed on the night of her abduction, she checked on her sleeping husband and her son to make sure that they were okay. She said that they were sleeping so deeply that she thought they were dead and she actually held a mirror (laughs) up to their noses to make sure that they were breathing. Linda's son told her that during that night, he remembered being comforted by a man as he witnessed his mother being examined by a group of strange creatures, implying that Linda was not the only one taken that night. During his investigation, Bud Hopkins showed Linda's son hundreds of pictures of different men. Eventually, the boy stopped on one and identified this man as the man who had been with him in the examination room. That the man in that picture was Javier Perez de Cuéllar. And that, in a nutshell, is the story of the Brooklyn Bridge abduction of Linda Cortil Napolitano. Wow. Crazy. Wow. Yeah, that's I just... like
1: that. Wow. It is <clears throat> nuts.
0: It 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 reads like a Errol Morris documentary like it is i mean this honestly this would make like a better documentary than the tiger king it's fucking nuts. yeah that
1: barely scratches the surface too just like you said michael there's so much more to this to be uh, uncovered and looked at thoroughly you know
0: yeah you so should check interesting out. yeah what's your immediate thought what the hell is this uh uh henry what do you, what do you think about this
3: i just think it's interesting that all these things kind of pile together that with these these stories quite often happens. Like there's so many layers of mystery and they kind of ah, you know, it's like again, you pull back the lid. As soon as you open the lid, it's like a whole long story. Like you watch the same thing with Hellier. You start looking into it and it gets weirder and weirder each time you look into it, and then you you don't know. And then you're kind of kind of you're left with all of these loose ends. Yeah. Well and <clears throat> they don't you know. Tenny, I need tenny. to know more about this topic.
0: Yeah, uh there's a, the book is called The Brooklyn Bridge Abductions by Bud Hopkins. It's out of print and I tried to I was going to order it on Amazon but because it's considered non-essential, uh it wasn't going to get here until May. So I didn't have time to read the book, but there's so much information out there about this. Um, and I would imagine misinformation as well, but, um, there was a, you know, Tenny brought up a point last week in, in last week's episode that I keep thinking about where he said that sometimes it feels as if the phenomenon, once it's being researched, uh, like Mothman will kind of go back and plant more evidence in the past to be <laughs> uncovered, you know, that wow. these stories grow, um, as the more that they're looked into. And, uh, you know, I wonder if the idea of like more and more witnesses coming forward is if the more that we make this story real in present time, the more witnesses are actually are to the event in the past.
1: Well, this is the this is the case that really breaks the mold, right? Because it's it's the one case where so many scientists and psychologists feel that the abduction phenomena is something that takes place within the home. It's some sort of a a, a mental aperture, but and, and this is a case where. No, there's a physical craft. Witnesses see the craft and they physically see someone, you know, being transported through a wall and into a craft, you know. So uh, Stephen Greer uh, from the Fame Disclosure Project had a (laughs) lot to say about this particular case. He felt that this was sort of psychological warfare played out on that general because he was heading to a United Nations panel that was supposedly going to reveal – Uh, The existential alien threat that was here on planet Earth and that this was a false flag operation. In other words, his famous uh, alien reproduction vehicles made by the government is is what, you know, actually uh, abducted Linda in. Uh, in one of his famous ARVs and so you know he think was about like-
3: how much work would go into that yeah
1: <laughs> totally <laughs> Think
3: me just how much work would go into that I mean I part of me gets that I guess people with no time with just nothing but time on their hands would orchestrate something like this but I feel like the government's very busy I feel like they got a lot of stuff going on it'd be a little bit difficult to just run a psyops campaign on one person
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is his whole thing, right, is that these that these black budget programs exist and that they have, you know, not millions, but billions, if not trillions of dollars. And and this is their whole agenda, right, to sort of create this false flag uh, World War Three alien invasion to keep the military industrial complex at the top of the uh, budgeted food chain.
3: Too much. Dr. Stephen Greer, I think, is a disinformation agent. He trusts them too much. I think he he likes these aliens too much. I don't think he understands the – but I am of the mind that if there are biological – if they are biological, they are nuts and bolts creatures from another part of the galaxy. They come here. They're going to eat us. They're going to destroy us. They are not – they will not be friendly if they come here.
1: Yeah. You're right Um, about his his ideology of these sort of aliens. He says, you know, uh, real – uh, aliens would never be involved in, in an abduction. So all the abductions that take place are, are from our government.
3: Bullshit, <laughs> Doctor
1: Stephen. Bullshit, Greer.
3: Dad. It's bullshit. <laughs> Don't trust aliens, dude. I just also
0: one of our listeners just emailed us this morning. Uh, Doctor Stephen Greer's uh, new thing is that he's promoting that you can cure the COVID nineteen virus by meditating uh oh so
3: yeah what do you so, think sitting in bed with a fever for days is technically it's meditating you're just fucking sitting there it like you're going on an exercise
1: bike uh-huh.
0: the other thing that's really fascinating about this story is that we also have the Men in Black motif here. Yeah. The two men, Dan yeah. and Richard, but they're playing a different role in this story. They're playing, you know, uh, they're they seem more human. They seem to have a little bit more of an identity, but they're still like insane. They're asking, they're coming around, asking weird questions. They're, uh, you know, and the, and when you read the story, it, it, it
3: that's it, where we heard this story when we did our Men in Black series. Because it's that's... interesting to see the because we cut it out, we cut out some stories just because there was too much going on, oh, oh yeah, and so I what I think happened here, it's interesting to see how somebody else's perspective changes them from men in black to like government people like because yeah. men in black is different to me, it is very different than the the CIA or the Pentagon or like the covert ops. I think men in black are fucking it's that's magic. Yeah, Like men in black is closer to like with the secret cipher of the euphonauts
0: right? than it is right, yeah, yeah.
3: people coming and questioning uh, like actively, like real government guys. I think that they are magical entities that behave like they are members of the FBI. They mm. like, they build themselves after them.
1: Mm. And this yeah. is a throwback to what we were talking about earlier, Henry, how much of these sort of, uh, euphenot entities are are created or manifested through uh, sort of occult ritual and and sacrifice and uh, or anything like that. The type of stuff that you witnessed when you were a young boy. Do you think that those things actually have uh, can can produce manifestations?
3: I I think there's there's a practical way to attach it. The way, Marcus and I were talking about Slenderman, right recently, and we were said the thing about Slenderman is that Slenderman yes was completely fake. It started on the internet as a joke, as a Photoshop concept. But then when people go and kill in the name of Slenderman, mm. Slenderman becomes real by proxy. Wow. Right? Like he becomes in a in a in that minute he becomes real because they deemed him real. So now we have to consider him real because if people have already done things in his name
2: yeah. so
3: to me the men in black scenario there is i think that there is some line here specifically men in black scenario that it starts with weird guys that are either actual human weird guys that are attracted to these phenomena especially when you think about like john keel talking about the mothman prophecies we have actual weirdos showing up to be a part of the hubbub of what's going on with these Mothman sightings, which then sort of legitimizes a the fake view of the men in black because these guys are actually showing up. There is somebody physically showing up. You then attach some, maybe so, a form of exaggerated version of the tales of the men in black to these actual physical human beings somewhere with the, the fucking, I'm just going to say, psycho-spiritual bullshit magic the the combination of the two make it real mm. that is the real extension is that these weirdos end up showing up and acting as men in black and then what happens is that you then just congrats you just became men in black because you called yourself one right and then in a way in a it's that spiritual way it becomes real
1: wow. i mean
3: that's just i mean that's gobbledygook but no nah, it's a
1: great theory <laughs>
0: Um, I do want to say for everyone who's listening, if you haven't already, go check out the series on Men in Black that they did that you guys did on uh, la- last podcast on the left that I think I even messaged you on Instagram because we'd met like around that time at an audition. Yes. And uh, that fucking series gave me nightmares. I had dreams of the Men in Black while listening to that because I think it lasted like two
3: or three episodes. It fucking I- haunted me everywhere. it it haunted me it was like it was i've not experienced something like that because i remember like just seeing men in black everywhere the the song came on the radio like i remember like not hearing the fucking men in black rap song a long time and then it like comes on the radio and it's like at this time period it was like this is the only time i've ever heard this song be menacing huh where I was like, <laughs> I, I'm waiting to see the man with no lips and the Ugh, fucking, yeah. because I've seen weird shit. Like, because then you also wonder what's the difference between me just being a highly paranoid slash observant person because I like I like copying human behavior for comedy. So we're all kind of people watchers because we're constantly looking for material. So I don't know how many times I've seen – I remember this one time I was out late at night. It was in New York. It was when I lived in Ridgewood, and I was walking back from the Fresh Pond Avenue stop, Fresh Pond Road stop. And I was – I was – look up, and I saw this old woman in a baby girl dress, like, going like, (laughs) like, doing this fucking weird-ass dance down the street. I mean, like, obviously that's crack cocaine, but for a second, (laughs) you're like – that's a fucking that's some weird otherworldly creature i don't know what the hell i'm looking at yeah, i'm always on li- the lookout for it
0: it's a living archetype you know yep. like you're that's that's when you are experiencing like the face value the, the the truth of an archetype of some i mean for all intents and purposes that is like the old hag that's a succubus in that moment
3: yeah it's baba yaga
0: baba yaga baba. exactly get out of
3: here baba yaga get out of <laughs> away. Get away from my family
0: <laughs> um well we got to wrap up this episode uh henry it was so awesome having you uh where can people find you where can people get the book don't look uh, for me in my
3: home leave okay. my family alone <laughs>
0: you know i you know,
3: i can be found on the internet uh, uh at henry loves you on twitter uh at dr fantasty on instagram and at lp on the left for all your last podcasts and the left needs We got season four, your previous going to Hell just got dropped on Hulu. I don't make any more money from that, but you can see that. That would be great if you watch that.
0: Fantastic. And the book, right? People can buy the book, the last Last book. book Last book on the
3: left. Uh, we are saying a, a fun way to find a, a local bookstore yeah. uh, to that sells the book is go to IndieBound.com, and you can search for local bookstores that can order for you in your area. Um, and if you want a signed copy, there are still signed copies available on BarnesandNoble.com. Oh, Incredible.
0: Fantastic. That's great, um, everybody listening. Uh, we're gonna. Henry's actually going to join us on the other side for a little uh, bonus mini episode after this. So if you uh, follow us over there, follow us over to the other side. In the meantime, if you want to support the show, you can always give us a five star review on Apple Podcasts. Please do this. Um, if you do it and it's great, we might read it on the show. Here's one that just popped up: Skunk Ape is real. This is from Sarah V two one six. She writes, I wake up five days a week at the crack of dawn, let my dog out, shower, breakfast, pull up to my ad hoc COVID work from home space and reluctantly, reluctantly jump into the world of healthcare consulting. But for one to two hours a week, I get to spend my morning blissfully distracted with the tale of high strangeness and the warm comfort of knowing I am not alone in my unwavering belief in the paranormal and otherworldly. <laughs> BBC is more than a podcast. It's a community of like minded guys who transport me each week to a world in which ectoplasm and scaly winged creatures are more important than performance indicators give this podcast a listen and you'll be hooked thank you Bryce, Michael and Riley thank you Sarah that was an awesome review yeah, awesome. thanks um, what a great until, review thank you so much until next week I'm Michael McMillan for Bryce Johnson and Riley Bray uh, good night
1: and go get regret
3: hail sweet thing. <laughs> <laughs>